Have you ever thought about Christianity's baggage? Did you know that, well, I'm sure you probably do know, I think everybody knows that that Christianity has baggage. There are some downside liabilities to Christianity. What's your thoughts about that? I want to share with you a case study. My friend Mabel, she found herself trapped inside Christianity's baggage, and God used a process to bring her out. And I want to share her story with you because I think it will benefit you. There are instances when Christianity's baggage can entrap a person, and they never realize it. They never connect a lack of consistent joy, constantly trying to control how people perceive them, and hiding long-standing flaws to the Christian life that they live. They genuinely love God, true, but there is an oppressive weight that feels more like religion than freedom or the freedom that Christ offers. Well, Mabel was that person, and I want to carefully walk through her story, and I trust it will be beneficial to you. This is a 2,000-word article, a little bit more, that I've written out this afternoon. And if you want to read it, read what I'm sharing with you, you can do that. The title of the article and this podcast is How God Delivered an Entrapped Soul from Christianity's Baggage. And of course, inside of our articles, you will find a lot of embedded links that will take you throughout our Sanctification Center, which is our website. And so, as with all articles, they can become long-term homework assignments for you or someone that you are helping. And so, if you have a person that they're not experiencing consistent joy, and then coupled with that, they're constantly trying to control how people perceive them. It's also called reputation management. Well, when you do that, then you will probably be hiding long-standing flaws in your life, and that can entrap you in such a way as it did with Mabel. Hello, everyone. I am Rick Thomas. You're listening to Your Daily Drive. I'm going to jump right into this podcast because there is a lot of ground to cover, and I want to make sure that I cover it sufficiently. But I do want to remind you, for those of you who haven't heard, there will be a time, hopefully sooner than later, when we will discontinue to the Your Daily Drive podcast. I won't discontinue a weekly article slash podcast, but we're going to move all of our podcasts onto one network, Life Over Coffee. We've been doing a lot of trimming down, trying to be more efficient, because as our, as our ministry continues to grow, it's better that we, we practice minimalization as much as we possibly can. This past week, we just purged our e-news email dat- database uh, we've removed over 4,000 names, people who have not been opening up the e-news. And, of course, we've been paying for them. Uh, you pay MailChimp for so many names or emails that you have, and we have thousands and thousands of them that we send our e-news out e- each week. And so Sharon did a, a massive purge on Monday of this week, and We've removed 4,000 names, and so that is fantastic. We're trimming down, and again, we just want to be efficient. And one of the other things that we're doing here, or planning to do, is we're going to get rid of your daily drive as far as producing podcast on this network. Your daily drive will always sit out there because I have 
I have more than a thousand, I think, a thousand podcasts on your daily drive, and and they're all embedded into the articles on our website. And so we will keep the archive alive, but we're going to stop producing new podcasts on this network and we're going to move everything over to Life Over Coffee, which is more in line with our brand. And so if you want to receive our podcast, then I would appeal to you to go over to Life Over Coffee. I also produce a lot more over there. I, I produce two to three podcasts a week just under those episodes. And, of course, we're going to add one more as soon as I start putting my articles over there instead of your daily drive. And so the best thing for you to do is just go ahead and move over to Life Over Coffee and you will be all set. And so I don't want you to be surprised. All right, let me get into this. How God delivered an entrapped soul from Christianity's baggage. Mabel learned early and often that God was good, that God was holy, and God was to be feared. She saw God do many fantastic things for her, for her family. And, of course, the best of all, which is the best gift that any of us could ever receive, is the gift of regeneration. She was born again and and her family as well. Mabel was amazed at God's kindness, not just to her family, but also to those who have yet to experience his regeneration. That's what theologians call common grace. You remember what Jesus said in the book of Matthew, that the Father who is in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and unjust. Mabel was so thankful for God's goodness that she was thankful for people who were not thankful, those who do not know him or do not contextualize the rising of the sun uh, as a gift of God's common grace. Mabel was fond of saying, we serve an awesome God. And she was right. God is perfect. He is holy. He is to be feared. God is amazingly good. And so Mabel loved God. She was a good Christian. There were no alarms in her bio, and I just shared her her bio or a part of her bio with you all. There was nothing amiss. And you could map her apparently happy story over millions of believers. I mean, all you have to do is scroll a happy Christian's Facebook stream, and you will see how good God is. Now, what you will rarely see is the darker side of their lives. Now, I am not suggesting that we should put our junk out there, but the wise soul, meaning you, you know that the cover might not always convey all that is in the book. Mabel had intentionally tucked her fears into the depths of her soul. You see, there was another side of her. There was a much deeper one. There was a discernible gap between the Mabel everyone experienced and the one that only God knew. Omniscience has no blind spots, which was not a comforting thought for Mabel. You see, Mabel was part of a legalistic religious culture that emphasized externalistic behaviors. Superficiality was the unmentioned albeit accepted, norm. And though she would say that God saved her by grace and not by works, 
she felt a strong need not to make any mistakes. There was something in her that was driving her to be perfect, or at least to present herself as perfect, though inwardly she knew that she could never rise to, to that level in, in the most practical sense. And that was the dichotomy. People only knew the outside of her, this facade of religiosity that even though she did genuinely love God, but there was a definite dichotomy. Mabel was in religious and spiritual bondage. Her legalistic culture emphasized rules, obedience, holiness, behaviors, which sounded okay to her. The problem for Mabel was that her rule-based culture ratcheted up the self-imposed pressure to be imperfect, uh, to be perfect rather. And it's important that you hear the word self-imposed. Though there was external pressure from the culture, the religious culture, to be perfect or to, to not talk in a transparent way and to live somewhat superficially, it was also self-imposed. She owned that. She always knew she was not perfect, but never had a context where she could be transparent by openly sharing what she really thought. And I don't know if you live in that culture. I have lived in a culture like that. Maybe you do. And if you do do live in a, a culture, whether it's a church culture or, or your family, if you live in a relational context where you can't admit your mistakes, your failures, your transgressions, well, then that's going to be problematic. And you may find yourself in a similar situation that, that I'm describing here with with our friend Mabel. And through her mistakes and her failures, and, and, and though her mistakes and failures and transgressions were evident to her family members, of course, you can't hide everything from everybody. And so behind closed doors, her family was complicit in the family secret. You see, they had their secrets too. And though Christ came to set the captive free, Mabel was trapped inside Christianity's walls by her Christian culture. The self-assumed, she took it on herself, and the externally imposed worldview created an internal fear that she could never please God. She never felt though she could please God, which kind of explains why she would internalize and hide her sins. Any misstep or misdeed sent her spiraling into discouragement and despair. The only thing she knew to do was to live two lives. Outwardly, she looked the part of a God-loving Christian. And I just want to repeat here that she did genuinely love God. It wasn't fake on that level, but it was dichotomized. There was a level of her, there was a part of her that knew it was not right, and she didn't know how to change that, so she was caught. Therefore, you could also say, it would be accurate to say outwardly, she looked the part of a God-loving Christian. And as authentic as that was in her heart of hearts, there was, a, there was an aspect of that that was inauthentic. Inwardly, she felt out of step because she was not free from her secret struggles. She was constantly juggling her inner turmoil with how she believed others viewed her. She internalized her sins and kept them secret and hidden from others, which was her best approach. 
to maintain reasonable insanity. Some call her operational motif reputation management. She learned to make excuses for her failures. Excusing, blaming, justifying, those are synonymous when humble confession and transparency are not options. Her pride, contextualized in a legalistic culture, was too much to bring her to repentance, and so she chose to double down on her fakery. She privately searched websites to find a way to change without telling one, telling anyone how she was struggling. Now, I would say that in my counseling career, I do not know the number of people who have come to me, and one of the first few things that they would share with me is that they don't want anybody to know that they are reaching out for help. They just don't want anybody to know. And it's one of the liabilities of biblical counseling that biblical counselors need to be aware of, that there is a dynamic in play to where the the very reason they're coming to you is because they want to go out there somewhere to get fixed and then come back inside the church walls to, to live their Christian life. There's something that's not quite right with that picture. Mabel's self-condemnation and the perceived condemnation from her perfect non-sinning friends. Now, you could put that in quotation marks. It was reaching a fearful climax in her soul. Mabel lived the first 42 years of her life the way that I have described. You could break it down in five steps. Number one, she worked hard to manage the narrative that others saw. Her representative, the facade, the semi-fictional character that she put forth in the public space. Number two, when she did wrong, she blamed and excused. That is a way of, well, if you're not going to confess your sin, you have to acknowledge it. And, well, there's two wrong ways to acknowledge it is to blame and excuse your sins on something else. Number three, the gaping pockets of secrets in her life continued to grow like cancer. It was festering and metastasizing. Number four, she became silently bitter, which is anger turned inward. That's what bitterness is. You got anger, anger that, that goes outward away from you, and it inflicts others. And then you have anger that's turned inward. It comes at you. Well, that turns into bitterness. Number four, she became silently bitter. Number five, her soul was wearing thin, as you might imagine. I mean, you could also say thin and hardened at the same time. She was wearing thin, but the more you excuse and blame things that you are legitimately doing, well, then you will harden your conscience as well. But as long as she could manage the low-level, respectable sins in her life and blame the rest, she was okay. And you could put okay in quotation marks as well. It was a plan, and she worked it every day in every encounter until she couldn't. There was a day when it all went terribly wrong. Mabel's modus operandi failed she called it the beginning of woes, the day her son wrote a long email declaring his renunciation of God. Biffy vowed never to return 
to its Christian roots. Mabel was understandably devastated, as you and I would would be too. She had no one to turn to for help. Her son, like her, kept his anger and bitterness tucked away from the view of those who, who went after sin like a convict pounding rocks. Biffy learned he could confess some sins. He could act out on a few others. He could play down the rest. What he would not do is be totally honest about his life, a carbon copy of his wife, uh, of his mother, Mabel. As a child, he bought into the unmentionable hypocrisy of Mabel. After becoming an adult, his resentment, that's that anger, turned inward, and he had a resentment about their hypocritical shallowness. Well, that outgrew his ability or even his desire to manage it. He said, I'm out. I'm done. I'm not living like this. Mabel's legalistic upbringing gave them no context for working out their wrongs. He responded in anger, bitterness, and a renouncement of God. She responded in fear and inwardly churning, but still believing in God. Initially, Mabel could not bring herself to believe God was behind her pain. That in it all and through it all, that somehow God was in this she could not believe that, that God would be in the humiliation of her family. She thought all her life that God was good and that total embarrassment on this level would never be part of his plan. At least not for her. I mean, she has seen it in other people's lives, but never even connected that dot that somehow this could be on me, on us. God could turn his attention to us. As he said in Job 1, have you considered my friend Job. Then when things went sideways, God is good, she exclaimed, and a good God would not allow this to happen to my family and me. But it did happen, which left Mabel looking for a culprit. You see, if, if God is not in it, if he is not part of it, you've got to find a way to place, you got to find a place to put whatever's happening in your life that is so devastating. And so initially, Mabel was angry, which makes sense. And then two, Mabel was angry at her son. Well, that makes sense too. Number three, Mabel was angry at her husband. Of course, he has to be a target. And then number four, Mabel was mainly angry at herself for failing her son. And so she was looking and shifting a, a place a portal that her anger could go through and land on someone for what is going on. But number five, Mabel was angry at God too. But like her other sins, she was not going to let that one see the light of day. Oh, my self-righteous soul, it has limitations. And there will be no way that I would come to the place of blaming God for what is going on in my life. Anger at God was a river too wide. Mabel was a good God-fearing Christian. Thinking God could be in her family's sin, it was beyond her comprehension. How could a good God have anything to do with any sin? It's a reasonable thought for the novice believer. Mabel's only understanding of the sin in her life was through a flawed hermeneutic. 
it sounded something like this. I did something wrong, therefore I must figure it out. I must find a solution because God is not in this. That's her, that's her flawed hermeneutic. To think Christ would roll up his sleeves and get in our messes had no practical meaning for Mabel. She had what I call gospel amnesia. She understood how he came to die for sin, but that was it. Jesus was relegated to a Savior role, not a sanctifier one. Just because he does not sin, just because he's not tempted by sin, just because he's not guilty of sin, it doesn't mean that he is not active in sin. Our sin, specifically speaking, he is. Christ becomes sin to save us. And he continues to work in the dirt of our lives to sanctify us. The word Adam means red man, man of the earth, dirt. We're all dirt clods. Jesus continues to mess with these jars of clay to sanctify us post-salvation. There is no area of our lives where there is inhibition from Christ to get dirty so we can experience cleansing. If perfect, practical, Salvation came at uh, sanctification, came at salvation. Perhaps Jesus would not need to involve himself so much in our lives. Mabel's flawed theology was straightforward. She accepted God as a forgiving judge, but she never left a courtroom, which explains her sinful fear of God. There is a biblical, healthy, reverential fear of God. But then there is a sinful fear of God, and that is what Mabel had. She never learned how the judge in the courtroom is a father in the living room. Because of this theological miscue, Mabel had wrapped her thoughts with a mental snare, and it worked out like this. I want to give you 12 steps that explain how Mabel goes from point number one, God is wonderful, to point number 12, I just want to die. Here is Mabel's, Mabel's process of sanctification. Number one, God is amazing, good, perfect, holy, blameless. Isn't that the way it should be. Number two, God is also distant. Now, that's what happens when you only know God as the judge and do not understand the Father in the living room. There can be somewhat of a detachment there. And so God is amazing, good, perfect, holy, blameless. Number two, God is distant. Number three, because he's distant, separated, holy, set apart, God cannot have anything to do with my sin or my family's sin. That's number three. Number four, because God is not part of our sin, I need to look elsewhere for solutions. Number five, I sinned. It's my fault. Number six, I could have done better. Therefore, I must try harder. Number seven, I turn the anger that I feel inward on me. Number eight, I am the blame. I hate me. I am trapped. I am depressed. I feel hopeless. Number nine, the only way I can come out of this is by doing more. Ratchet up my obedience. 
pick myself up by my own bootstraps and I can get out of this depressive hole that I'm living in, number 10, that will make me feel better about myself. Number 11, but it does not work. I'm still the same. Number 12, I want to die. And that's how she got there. You see, Mabel overshot the gospel. Though she is a believer, she did not understand how the gospel worked in her sanctification. Like an earthly father, a good earthly father, our Heavenly Father never stops working in our lives. Sometimes that means God will use sin for His divine purposes. Only in the hands of God can sin become a temporary ally. Sinful creatures cannot do this, but a holy, sovereign God can. We see Him using sin sinlessly at the cross. The cross of Christ loudly proclaims God is good and God allows evil. A challenging juxtaposition. Because of His goodness to us, He, he chose to ex- execute His Son on a tree, and this execution set us free from sin. Sometimes while living in a sinful world, the Lord permits to bring about a greater good through the usage of evil. A cursory reading of the New of the Old Testament rather substantially supports this idea. Pretend you are a journalist just for a moment and you want to interview Adam, Noah, Abraham, Joseph, Moses, Job, David, Jonah. They would all testify to my thesis. They saw the Father use sin many times to accomplish His purposes. Nothing can thwart God's plans, and sometimes God will use what Satan means for evil to manifest His glory that ends up being in our favor. In Mabel's case, she had a hidden idolatry, and she had no intention of ever to change how she lived in God's world. Mabel idolized self-reliance, though she was ignorant of what she was doing to herself because she lived in a legalistic culture and did not understand the things that I'm, I'm talking about in this podcast, she only knew to work harder. She's like like Avis, that old car commercial that tried to become number one, get ahead of Hertz Rent-A-Car. And Avis's tagline during that season was, we try harder. And that's who Mabel was. Rather than being willing to confess her secret life, she redoubled her efforts to cover it up. And then God's mercy broke through those hardened walls by permitting the difficulties to escalate. Initially, she became depressed, angry, justifying, blaming. She could not control things until finally her life exploded through her son's problems. The lid was off. The secret was out. She could not hide anymore. She eventually began to care more about what God thought about her. He was softening her heart, and the softer it became, the freer she became. The more she understood what God was doing, she began to come out from under sin's control. Sin became less of a big deal to her. And I mean that in the context that we know sin is a big deal. It is a horrifically big deal. But in the context of what I am saying, sin became less of a big deal to her as grace became everything. 
she began to see God's goodness in a different shade. She began to openly talk about her transgressions and confess them when appropriate to the appropriate people and to seek help for them from the appropriate people as well. With a better understanding of the gospel, Mabel was no longer tied to its reeking internalizations. Looking back, she is amazed at how subtle and devastating her religion became. Christianity's baggage had, uh, had trapped her. It was merely a slight misalignment of the gospel that threw her soul and her entire family off its gospel axis. The title of this podcast is How God Delivered an Entrapped Soul from Christianity's Baggage. If you sense, you believe that you're in that place. As I talked about earlier, you're not connecting a lack of consistent joy, constantly trying to control how people perceive you, and hiding long-standing flaws in your life. If that is representative of you, as I've described in the life of Mabel, there are several articles that I would appeal to you to work through uh, in this article that I just shared with you. Uh, one of them is titled, uh, titled, The Danger of Trying to Please God. And there are about thir- between 30 and 40 articles here as well. And it will help you to walk through the complexity of what I've described to you in Mabel's life. I also have a call to action section. There are four questions here. I would encourage you to work through those with a friend. And then, as always, if we can serve you, which is really our heart's desire, then I I want you to reach out to us. We have free community forums that are underwritten by those who support this ministry. Please take advantage of them and let us serve you. Thanks for listening.